So hello, everybody. My name is Damian Shield, and I'm the senior director at the Institute at the Center for Medical Simulation. And our focus is on faculty development and instructor programs for healthcare simulation. And I'm really pleased that we have this timely opportunity to reconnect with old colleagues and friends, Kendra Walton Kelly, Masiva Collins from Thunder Bay, Ontario, with whom we worked uh, on an amazing project and that they so graciously agreed to join us for this second part in a series called Broaching Race and Racism in Debriefing and Team Simulations. And as Jenny Rudolph, our executive director, uh, said in the session she hosted last week, there's uh, probably never been a time where our work is likely to have such transformative change in our learners, our colleagues, our cultures, our societies. And um, many of us are just getting started on this work. And for that reason, I'm again, quite pleased to have be able to call on colleagues who are already doing this great work individually and also in their community. So um, Kelly, Kendra, love to give you a chance here to introduce yourselves uh, and then I'll do a few logistics and um, and then we'll go from there. Hi, I'm, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kelly Mazervier Collins and I'm the Director of Education here at Thunder Bay Regional Health Sciences Centre um, in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada and happy to be here. Hi everybody, um, my name is Kendra Waltz. I'm a registered nurse um, and also interprofessional educator here in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada as well. It's a beautiful day and uh, we're really excited and happy uh, to be here today. So thanks for, for joining us. Great, so I'm, um, I'm the producer and host of the show today. My colleague Ann Mullen is working in the background here to help us coordinate uh, you all who are joining uh, synchronously, uh, welcome. You're very much a part of the conversation. And I look forward to seeing your comments and questions in the Q&A chat box. Um, click Q&A. The chat isn't working. It's the Q&A where you can pose your questions. Anne and I will be monitoring that and we'll bring, be bringing that to Kelly and Kendra throughout the presentation. Uh, to make sure that we're addressing topics of your interest, but also hearing your comments. And uh, I will be um, really uh, turning over uh, to this great team. Um, their interest here is to uh, help us all be able to discuss strategies and talk about race and racism and health disparities in healthcare simulation context. And they're going to uh, be basing that on their work uh, locally at Thunder Bay. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance also to reflect on the role that instructors and program leaders can have as agents of change. So I uh, fully expect an inspiring uh, and transformative presentation here. And I'm quite looking forward. So. Without further ado, I'll uh, mute myself and disappear and uh, um, be right here for the Q&A.
So uh, we just want to, we just want to say thank you for having us here today. We really appreciate this opportunity to talk about the project. Um, I will start off the conversation, and I really will start by giving you an overview of who we are and how we came about doing this project and what our project looks like, and some of those key considerations we really thought about when starting to pull things together. Um, so this first slide that you're seeing is, is our hospital, and it's in Thunder Bay. And we really wanted to give you a little bit of context because we, we are quite remote, but we are a city just like any other city. We're a 370-bed hospital, acute care hospital. Uh, we service a large area, but we, we have all the facilities that every other hospital has. And our racism may be a little bit different than what people experience in their areas, but but like other hospitals, we still see it happening within our city, within our region, and within our within our hospital. Next slide. And so I just wanted to give you a little context of where we're located. And, and I hope you can see this picture, but I I mapped out Thunder Bay from Boston and the actual distance it is. And it's a 23-hour drive nonstop to really get from Thunder Bay to Boston. But we're on the tip of Lake Superior in the picture before you saw Lake Superior in the background. And we are about 30 minutes from the Minnesota border. So we're just south of, or north of the border. We are the only acute care hospital within our area. If we cannot offer the specialty services at our hospital, we have to go to Toronto or we have to send our patients to Toronto, which is more than halfway between here and Boston, just to give you an idea of the remoteness of where we're located within Ontario. And then also we have a very large catchment area. So it is about the size of France that our hospital services and, and it really has um, a low population. So there's only 250,000 uh, people in the area and about half of them are within our urban center of Thunder Bay. So the rest are spread out throughout um, Northwestern Ontario and, and a lot of that population is really um, Northwestern or remote reserves. So we can only get through the, get to them through airplanes, through winter roads over ice. And so it just gives you a little bit of an idea of what, what healthcare looks like within our area. Uh, we do offer every program. Uh, we're quite expensive with our cancer care program, our cardiovascular. So we have those services. We have most services, but some of the specialty areas, we don't have a large enough population to keep that specialty area here. So our patients have to go to Toronto or London, Ontario for those services. Next slide, please. So our patients in the north are sicker than patients throughout Ontario. And when we look at it, it really has a lot to do with social determinants of health. We have patients that live in poverty and, and this is true within our urban center, but if you look at a lot of our remote reserves, um, there's not access to healthy food, there's not access to clean water or running water, um, homes, so we see a lot of these really contributing to health. 
we we look at political issues our population is 18 percent indigenous and we see a lot of trauma first generation trauma or second generation trauma we we have a lot of mental illness we have high rates of suicide and we have high rates of chronic disease so you really see a very complex patient population and it's really from this where you start to see how healthcare is not servicing certain populations well. Next slide, please. So where did this project come from? It's really populations that were accessing care did not feel they were getting the quality care they should from a healthcare uh, organization. And we really saw this with Indigenous people, with patients with mental illness, with, with aging patients. So when we reached out to do our previous strategic plan, we were hearing this comment more and more that I don't feel safe receiving care in your hospital. I don't feel like I'm going to get the care I need in the hospital. And so when this came out, our senior leadership team really worked, reached out to us in education and, and asked if we could put a learning plan together to really address this issue. And, and of course, um, I don't know if any of the audience is in education themselves. It's always a little, a little intimidating to be asked to fix fix a problem, especially something that may be quite systemic and really beyond education. But we also know that learning needs change and learning can lead to change. So we, we took on this project and, and started to move forward with it. One of our first steps was really to reach out to our population, um, the populations that uh, we're looking for these changes. So indigenous communities, our mental health patients, our, our patient family advisors and say, what does success look like? And next slide, please. And, and so we really wanted to say, you know, if our training worked, if our learning program worked, what would that look like when you came to our organization? What would be different? What would you expect to see? And so this comment came out over and over again. We just want to be treated with kindness. We just want to be, be treated with consideration. Our, our values, we want to be valued. Our thoughts, our experiences, our belief. Um, listened to. And so this really came up over and over. And and we really didn't know at first how, you know, is this the path we go down or or is this the wrong way? And and I just want to acknowledge that we weren't ignoring racism. You know, we know racism was was heavy in our area and we know indigenous racism was really heavy in our area. And by not having it in the statement, we weren't ignoring it, pretending it wasn't there because we talked about it over and over, but we knew we had to do some of this foundational work about getting curious, about listening to each other, about valuing things. So this was really where we started. And what's also interesting is we were doing some engagement with different different um, communities with our staff within our organization, and they were feeling the same things. They were really feeling that their beliefs weren't acknowledged, that they weren't being valued. So we really saw an opportunity to delve a little bit deeper into this area. Next slide. 
So what did we consider? There were some really key things we talked about in the beginning as we move forward. When we were asked to do the learning plan, people asked us to look at self-awareness or um, cultural awareness and really focus in this area. And, and there was this approach of fixing our staff, of fixing their thoughts and fixing their beliefs. And that really worried us. And we really felt that it could have unintentional consequences on our Indigenous population and on our marginalized groups. And so we were really cautious moving forward around how, how we tackled this. Um, so that was really one of the first considerations we had. Whatever we put forward, we had to make sure it wasn't having a negative impact or adding to the racism within our organization. The second consideration was really around role modeling. We knew right away that we couldn't go into this with an attitude of fixing people because how do you, how do you teach people to be kind and curious and considerate and to ask questions if you're not doing it yourself as a facilitator. So we knew we really had to role model what we wanted to see out there. And we had to create a learning plan that had that in place and really allowed us to do that as facilitators. The third consideration was around a safe learning environment. And so we recognized that people were going to be bringing their experiences to the table and we wanted to create an environment where people could talk about past experience that people could talk about racism and and it's a it's a scary conversation sometimes because we we're really unsure sometimes what to say or what we're saying is wrong or how we say it is wrong and so we really wanted to create this environment where people feel safe to talk about it and and we listened to the presentation last week and we love that statement around brave spaces because that's hopefully what we what we created and that's really in our mind that's what we wanted to create we know sometimes it's not safe all the time to talk about racism but we really wanted to jump into it and figure out how we can work through it and find new language that worked in it and new models for moving forward our fourth key consideration was about co-creation. We knew we wanted to engage our Indigenous population and we really worked a lot with our Indigenous community. We had some key stakeholders that really helped us learn because we didn't know a lot about anti-Indigenous racism. We didn't know a lot about colonialism and, and some of the issues and stereotypes and prejudices we were aware from what we've seen but we weren't experts in this area by no means and then also we wanted to work with um, our our staff to really hear their experiences and blend their experiences into our scenarios and so we really looked at this as a co-creation opportunity and then finally talking about moving to from comfortable to courageous and so Often when we reflect on some of the learning, we have these really positive feelings. But when we started, it was really, really scary for us. Um, Thunder Bay is really considered to be a racist city. Uh, the way it's set up in Canada, it's it's where trade happened uh, throughout many years. It's You have to go through our city to get across Canada. Everyone comes through here 
for our Indigenous populations. Residential schools stemmed from here. Indian hospitals stemmed from here. So there's a lot of tragic history that came from Thunder Bay and there's a lot of racism in Thunder Bay. So it is a city issue, it's a regional issue, it's a hospital issue. And when we started to delve into this, even people would say, oh, you're from Thunder Bay, oh. And we had this experience of the racism that was here. And to recognize that we're gonna start to have these conversations and we're trying to build these spaces where people can talk about it, it, it was really, really overwhelming for us at moments. And, and we have these key moments where we were like, are we really gonna do this? Are we really gonna step into this? And it's been the most rewarding work that we've done and that we're doing, but there were some really scary moments for us. Next slide, please. And so from here is really where we decided to use simulation. When we went through these key considerations, when we really thought about what we were trying to achieve, we we really recognized that simulation could be a great tool for us. And both Kendra and I participated in the CMS instructor course and found it really impactful for us. And it really changed how we approached um, different scenarios and how we looked at learning. And some of those key things were really the exper experiential learning theory, really recognizing that people are coming in with their models. They have these mental models. They have experiences. They've learned, they've grown up with racism. It just didn't start here. They have stereotypes that have been reinforced in different ways. And we really needed a way to look at what those current mental models were and then start to introduce new ones and start to introduce new language and really respect what was coming out. We love the idea of the basic assumption and recognizing that we just all have different tools in our toolbox when it comes to racism. We're not used to talking about it. We don't always know to talk about it. We we have some of those fears. And I, I know last week they talked about it. Even though you have some of those fears, there's still that opportunity to step into it. And we just wanted to recognize everyone that we know everyone's doing the best they can. they can when they come to work. They're really showing up as their best. And how do we have give them some more tools that so that we can make this better? And then really that debriefing with good judgment. We shifted a lot as we went through this, but we recognized the judgments we had and we had to really be conscious of it as we move through the learning scenarios and how we move through the simulations because as we grew, then sometimes we would recognize challenges that we we had in some of our, our simulations and we had to really debrief about this a lot because we had to recognize um, that we didn't want to bring those judgments to the next scenario or we didn't want to judge that person when we saw them in the hallway. So we really worked at our biases and assumptions as we went through. So next slide, please. And, and so we just would like to open it up to questions at this point. While uh, folks are kind of processing and hearing part of your story here, Kelly, um, 
I'd like to um, share a reflection and ask you a question. I, you know, I'm hearing that I think you're describing the power of that initial courage to look at yourselves as an organization and uh, really tackle a problem, and then in doing so, actually listening. And um, I think that that can both be painful and also um, lead to some in, inner conflict. That conflict then has to get resolved and is productive. Um, so I just wondering if you might share a snippet or two around what was um, hard to hear and what were some of the conflicts um, that ensued from that. Uh, so I think yeah, and, I, and Kendra can probably speak to this. There's a few things. It, it really has to do with Indigenous culture and, and really the realities of the racism were really hard to hear and upsetting. You know, we knew racism took place, but we didn't know a lot about residential schools. We didn't know a lot about Indian hospitals. We didn't know how atrocious the treatment was and the trauma that families felt. And through some of that training, you know, you really recognize uh, as a white settler, you know, we may not have been involved right now, but but there is that colonialism, we're part of it. And so it took us a while to really sit with that. And, and you just, there's so many things you look at differently. You look at your country different, you look at your city different, you look at your colleagues different, you look at yourself different. And it's a really, it's, it was a really hard learning lesson for us, very meaningful and very important that we went through it, but there was a lot we went through and, and you know, I, I remember Kendra and Tracy, our other colleague that worked, they went to Toronto for a learning session and, and they talk about this moment when, when they go in and, and how they had to own own the racism and and really delve into it and when they came back and thinking about you know I recognize my parents make these comments I recognize that my friends make these comments and we're we're a pretty small community and and there was a lot of awareness that came with that and a lot of a lot of challenge to say okay you know we're we can't go into this halfway you know, we can't be speaking outside of what one side of our mouth and then going into the room and, and and having this different lens. If we're going in, we're going in. And and you know, it wasn't as hard as we thought it would be once we stepped into it. I think we had some of those really initial fears and once we got in, it wasn't as hard, but there were some really key internal learning moments for us. And I don't know if Kendra has any more to add to that. Uh, yeah, I would echo all of what you said. And I think the other piece that resonates with me is really just getting an understanding of privilege as a white settler and not really understanding that before, um, you know, delving into this kind of education and training. Um, but you know, you go through this kind of grieving process where you think, oh my God, you know, I, I don't have to think about when I take my children into the ED, if I'm going to be looked at like a bad parent because they're sick, because I'm white. And I know, 
you know, and I, I never thought that just based on the color of your skin, uh, a, a, an indigenous person coming in with their child may be looked at like they're neglecting them or they're afraid that CAS is going to be called or Child Protective Services. So, um, you know, just kind of coming to grips with that, uh, huge learning, huge impact and really important to kind of ground ourselves in before we got into this even deeper. Um, thank you for uh, sharing that and uh, help, you know, for me at least as reflecting on some of the process that I'm going through as a uh, immigrant white person working in this context and all that learning that we're doing. Um, Anne, you want to help me out here? Um, I see a number of questions, some of them on the chat, some of them I think uh, will be uh, probably addressed in the next bit and some of them will be uh, interesting to chat about now. Do you have... Um... Yeah, I was thinking that some of the questions may be going to be covered in the second half. I wanted to share Colette Fozidal's comment, uh, which is rel related to what you're talking about here. Um, and I'd like to read it because it's quite eloquent, Quinn. She said, I was encouraged by a First Nations elder to unpack my privilege with others who are like me. She told me that I needed to engage in this process in order to heal me and the part my ancestors and I have played in racism. My actions may have been complicit as opposed to being implicit or explicit. We're not always fully aware. And this has been an amazing experience for her to sort of unpack her privilege. And I just was wondering whether Kelly and Kendra would like to comment on that. Um, I, yeah, I think it, it is something that I, when you go through this process and you have a good understanding um, of what privilege is and what that means to different, you know, to us and, and when you don't have that privilege, um, you know, it's, it's even the implicit biases that, that we carry that we didn't even know we had. Like, we didn't think back in the day when we watched a cartoon about Indigenous people and they all had feathers in their hats and they rode on horses. Um, you know, all of those types of things play into biases that we, 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 we carry and, and we grow and we build on. And that's how we build assumptions. That's how we act towards people. Um, so I would echo that um, if you have the opportunity to kind of get into that space and explore that, it's hard, it's emotional, but it's so worth it. I was also thinking this question might be coming up as you talk about planning your education program and your scenarios. Um, a similar question that we talked about in last week's program, how do you balance making realistic scenarios without creating stereotypes or inadvertently doing further harm or damage? I assume that you are gonna be talking a little bit about this so you can pause if you're gonna be um, covering this question later. Uh, yeah, I would say that we are going to reach that uh, and talk about that in the next part of the presentation. Um, if we don't get the whole question answered, we can definitely come back to it uh, at the end. Great. Um, there's also a couple of questions about whether this was a mandatory program or how did you uh, encourage people to buy into the education. Again, you may be covering this in your second half. Yes, we are going to cover that. Great. Let's. I propose let's go to it and um, okay. look forward to it. Great.
Um, so now that we knew that we had to do some work and, and you know, we're tasked with this huge deal and this huge uh, ask, um, again, we knew that we had to develop ourselves as facilitators and as leaders of this project. Um, and so we had to do a lot of our own work and we had to really explore, you know, our own beliefs, our own values, uh, you know, what, is, what are the biases that we may carry, um, both complicitly and implicitly. Um, and so, again, this was really about educating ourselves more so on um, uh, Indigenous health, uh, cultural safety. We did a lot of work uh, with e-learning courses. We worked with uh, teams in Toronto that really built up our, um, our knowledge and our understanding. Uh, we were not taught in school, you know, the history of colonization um, like they're taught today. And so a lot of the learning was new for us um, and, and it, it was a lot to bear, but very important to kind of get used to the, um, to the words that were used, the language that was used. Um, and then we worked, we had the, the luxury, uh, thankfully, to have Kate Morris and Mary Faye coming here to do a gateway course with us. And so we were able to tackle them on for a couple of extra days to help us build these simulations, um, knowing that we wanted to make sure that we had them authentically created and that they ticked the boxes that they needed to, to tick. Um, and who else better to ask than, you know, the pros at this. And so it was really uh, great to have them. And then um, I put this piece in about the senior leadership because, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, this is, you can't deny that racism happens. And we know that in Thunder Bay, we are considered to be a very racist city, as Kelly alluded to. And, uh, you know, you would, you would be doing harm by saying that there's no racism in our hospital. That's just not true. And so our senior leadership uh, really took this on as something that they felt was really important. They did a lot of work as well. Um, they took courses, they met with a lot of Indigenous leaders um, to really have a good understanding uh, of, of the importance of how we uh, deal with Indigenous uh, health uh, services. Um, and that was key to our success. That was key to having, you know, the leaders role model the behaviors that we needed and to just show that this is something that's important, this is something that we're invested in, and um, you know, we just couldn't have asked for a, a better turnout and a better support from them. Um, well, when you fail, realize what you're going to do and after we built who we were and, and got kind of the knowledge that we needed to get moving, uh, we built our team and our team is, is small, um, but uh, what we quickly learned going through this is that it is so important to have team trust and accountability. Um, you are talking about conversations that are very deep um, and and we learned that you, you know, we had to give our own selves and be vulnerable in the conversations to like open up that safe container and, and really allow people to share. And so, uh, you know, we, the very first time that we, we practiced this scenario, believe it or not, was with the entire senior team of the organization from manager and up. And, you know, we all had our small groups that we debriefed. And then we came together in this giant fishbowl uh, exercise where we had to talk about what was talked about in our smaller debriefs and share some of the, the feelings and, and experiences that we had. And we did that. We were afraid, but we did it. And the next morning we all showed up to work. We were somber. We didn't sleep well that night. We didn't know what was going on. We were just like, what did we do? Um, 
and we've quickly learned about the vulnerability hangover. Um, and so just knowing that that is something that will, you know, is a realistic thing that may happen if people are going forward to doing this is that when you're when you're putting yourself out there, and you're talking about these kinds of things. Uh, it's heavy, especially when you're not used to that. And so having your team to support you and go through that is, is uh, you know, it's it's so necessary. Uh, and then getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, um, you know, with change, with any change, with culture change, we know that we can't stay in that comfort zone. And so we had to get used to going into scenarios and situations where we didn't know what kind of conversations were going to come out of this or what somebody might say or how somebody might feel. So we got comfortable with, with the unknown and, and, and not knowing where things were going to go. Um, debriefing as a team afterwards, of course, was something very important because we needed to make sure that we were celebrating our successes, talking about the challenges, um, you know, what will we want to do better next time? How can we do this differently? And then when you're in the trenches like this, you can't help but grow. You can't help but, um, you know, just come to this place of emotional growth together. And, and um, you know, it was quite emotional. Even when we talk about it now, we get quite emotional because it's, it's just a huge grow, growing point uh, together as a team. Um, with implementation, um, we knew that we couldn't just go in and say, thou shalt change and you must do this. Um, and so we thought we need to have a layered approach here. Um, and so we, we thought it's really important to have some foundational uh, theory and knowledge. And so we created e-learning courses uh, specific to each of those patient populations that Kelly showed you at the beginning um, as to kind of give an understanding, give a history, what were some of the issues that these populations were facing, and then kind of brought them through some interactive activities where you can talk about biases and, and or identify some biases that you carry or assumptions that you make. Um, and we also knew that if we're coming in, we wanted to work with teams that already work together. And just thinking about the team norms and the forming, norming, storming, we thought that if the team works together already, they might be more comfortable to share uh, these kinds of experiences than coming in as strangers. And so we tackled it in that approach. Uh, we really wanted to make sure that our scenarios that we chose were realistic. So we wanted to make sure that they were relevant to all professions, all staff within the organization and all departments. Um, and then, of course, pre-briefing. And as we know in simulation, pre-briefing is so important to set that stage. And so we really wanted to make sure that we did uh, develop that safe container, um, share, you know, be vulnerable when we had to. Uh, we encouraged and, and, and shared that this was confidential and that nobody had to worry that we were going to go back and talk to a manager about something that somebody said. Um, this was really about a no-blame culture. It was really to have a discussion. Um, and that this, this scenario didn't depict one specific area of the hospital. So we didn't want to say that this is the emergency department and this is what happens here. Uh, we wanted it to just be a generic area and that the participants, so this, one of our activities is a video. And so the, the actors in that video, of course, we're a small organization. We know a lot of people, everybody kind of knows each other. And so we didn't want the judgments of the actors to kind of play into who they were in real life. So a lot, a lot of that was just setting the stage. And then shifting our objectives. So we couldn't go broad. We really had to narrow it down to, to just really being about self-awareness of our biases and our assumptions and really normalizing that. And so thinking about those brave spaces, that's really what we did. We tried to bring people into those brave spaces and, and just, you know, you know, 
it's, it's okay to have assumptions and biases. That's normal. That's what we do as human beings to fill in blanks. But it's about when do we have that self-awareness to recognize, am I acting in a way that's biased? Am I carrying a bias into this conversation or into this scenario that I shouldn't be? Uh, and then, of course, uh, speaking up was another huge thing, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a second. So here's a snapshot of a couple examples of the scenarios that we developed. So on the left-hand side of your screen, you'll see uh, this is a patient interaction with a staff member. Um, and you can see, based on the look of that patient, uh, you can draw on some conclusions, some biases, some stereotypes that you might think about um, and, and the interaction that was there. And, and then on the right side is a boardroom simulation where, um, so the scenario is that the chair of the, of, the, of the meeting doesn't show up. And so we had embedded actors in the simulation with our participants that started to talk derogatory about that chairperson and why they're never there. And it really has to do with mental health and, and, and you know, kind of going down that track. And we just sat back and watched to see who spoke up. Did anybody speak up? Did anybody, uh, you know, stop the conversation or say that this wasn't appropriate? Um, and interestingly enough, as you watch this, um, a few things came out of this. People wanted this. People were ready for this, for this change. They were ready to start talking about this. This was relevant information. It was almost like we were giving them permission to finally speak up and to finally say what's been on their minds or what they've been feeling. So, you know, surprisingly, most often people poured their hearts out. You know, you really didn't have to pull that hard to get some information. People were so willing to share their experiences and what they thought. And so, you know, for us, that just that just really showed that, you know, we're doing a good thing. And while this is scary and hard, it's so important and just to keep going. Um, what I like about this slide and this and the utilizing the law of diffusion of innovation is that um, you know, as our team, our team specifically, we are a, a small team of high achievers. We love to get the 100%. We want to do great things always. Um, and, you know, this, this slide really brought us back down to think, okay, we can't change everybody. Um, we can't in, in one 45-minute session change what's been 100 years or more of, you know, systemic racism and, and, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, it was really about the early adopters and, and that tipping point. So in our organization, uh, to get to that 15 to 18% was really between five and 600 people that we wanted to hit. And we, we, we met that number. Um, and so just that role modeling of that small change with that, that small population of people, we knew that over time we were gonna see impact. And so this kind of kept us grounded that we didn't have to achieve the world here. We just had to, to, to make small change. Um, going with the flow, again, this type of work, I think it's so important to think that you can't go in with a standard approach. This was something that we really had to, 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 to mold and be fluid. Um, and we followed the natural, the natural flow of things. So we went to those early adopters. We went to the people that asked for this first, that were ready to jump in. Jump in. Um, and then we followed the natural course. If they wanted us to come back for more, we went back. We, we really just kind of stuck to who was ready to do this because we knew not everybody was ready to do this. Some areas had to do some work before we came in. And so, um, you know, it's, it was just an interesting kind of way that things unfolded. And then eventually as, as 
you know, this caught on, we were invited into the emergency department and we were invited into the OR where typically and historically those are places that have complex issues and complex personalities. And, you know, that was scary for us, but it, but it worked and it, and, and we did really well. And the other piece to going with the flow is that, you know, that again, this is a hospital, um, you know, patient care needs take first uh, priority. Um, and so sometimes we just had to be flexible and knowing that we couldn't make, uh, you know, a, a timeline or people had to cancel last minute. Um, and so we had to be uh, open with that as well. What I love about this slide is that I feel like this slide really shows kind of the mental map that we had in our minds often. Um, this is not a straight and narrow kind of uh, project. There are many curves and many uh, forks and, and sometimes you've got to turn around. We had tremendous pressure to, to fix something and something that's very large like racism is no easy task. And, you know, who were we? We were the small education group who are used to teaching, you know, tasks that have to do with clinical and very, you know, concrete things. And here we are taking on the world of racism and who are we to do that? And so it was a lot of pressure for us to, to kind of take that on. And there was a lot of corporate expectations coming out of that, you know, that they wanted to say that, yep, changes were happening and they were ticking boxes. And then we had a lot of our own personal expectations as well. And uh, we knew we had one chance with this. And so we wanted to make sure that we did it right. And so I know oftentimes we thought we were going straight and then we would turn around and we'd say, no, we can't do that. Um, and so it was a whirlwind, but it was important to kind of just shift when we had to and shift often is what we did. And then the last thing I really want to talk about is some of those key recommendations. And so if anybody's thinking about doing this within their organization, I would say that these are my kind of give to you takeaways that, um, that we really uh, felt are important to share with you. And so first of all, it's using a code debrief model. Um, I would never suggest that you go into the scenario or into these debriefs or simulations on your own. You never know when you may get triggered yourself. Uh, you never know what things might come out in conversation where you may have to stop things immediately um, or where somebody may step out because they're feeling uh, vulnerable. They, they don't want to talk about this anymore. And so we really had to be fluid in, in that and, and using a code debrief, debrief model was really important for that. Uh, be available for one-on-one -on -one follow up. And so this is both right immediately after your scenario or your, or your situation is finished. Um, sometimes people don't like to talk uh, in a larger setting or in a larger group. And so oftentimes we would have people come up to us after and say, oh, uh, you know, I, I thought this or I, I, what I would do is this. And so they wanted to kind of debrief on their own. And then also we would be stopped in the hallways weeks after where somebody would come to us and say, you know, I just need to tell you why I said what I said or why I didn't speak up. Um, and, and so there's reflection that happens beyond just that that short time that you're with them. And so just to be available and open that people may stop you and need the, feel the need to have to even share more. Uh, that happened quite often. Checking in with your participants. So again, especially if you have people of minority or if the conversations are getting to a point that it's getting a little bit heated or there's disagreements or that kind of thing, check in with your participants, make sure that they're okay. Uh, uh, make sure that when they're leaving uh, uh, with you, um, they, they're feeling safe and that they're feeling that they can, they can go on. And then again, uh, Kelly alluded to this a little bit too, is debrief your debriefs as your team and as your facilitator group because 
we're human. We, we came out of those um, simulations sometimes with our very own judgments. Um, and, you know, those moments of like WTF and I can't believe they said that, or I can't believe this happened. And, you know, you, you, in that moment, you're, you're being professional, but afterwards you just need somebody to kind of, you know, talk about it and just spill what you're feeling because again, we're human and we have those, these, those emotions. And again, this is heavy, heavy work. And so, uh, to, to just kind of have that person to do that with is really important. And then lastly, I didn't put on the slide, but self-care. So again, uh, not easy work. It's emotional. You carry it heavily on your shoulders and it's important to, to take that time to do self-care, whatever it is that you like to do. Um, I think that's the end for me. So if there's any other questions at this point. Um, Andrew, I know that you mentioned, this is Anne again, sorry. I know that you mentioned that you had Indigenous people on your planning team. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what their in, how their input helped you to shape the scenarios to make them sure. realistic and meaningful. Yeah, um, so um, we utilized um, a few different avenues for Indigenous consultation. And so we used some groups uh, that, tr that did the training to us, the ones that did our cultural uh, safety training uh, we brought them in many times uh, to just say hey this is what we're doing what do you think about this and then we also brought in um, some patient navigators from the organization uh, and actually when we originally planned this we had a large facilitation group we had I don't know close to 20 or 25 people that we had recruited to do this work and quickly that number dwindled to again down to basically the four of us um, and so a lot of the a lot of the the patient navigators took on a consultative role. They didn't feel like they wanted to really share in that moment, and we had to respect that. They, you know, not everybody feels comfortable getting up and facilitating a group and talking like that. Um, and so uh, that's kind of what we did. But they still helped us build the scenarios. They still helped us to kind of think about what were those key things. Um, and it was very clear to us that while the overarching theme was bias, assumptions, respect, that, that anti-Indigenous racism really had to be on its own. Um, and so now that this, and Kelly's going to talk a little bit about what our next steps are, but now that we've laid this foundation, uh, that's, our, that's our next step. So, yeah. And have you noticed changes in the way that your patients feel they're being treated? You said at the beginning that lots of patients didn't feel safe getting care at the hospital. Do you feel like that has shifted? based on your program. Kelly, do you want to speak to this? You're muted, Kelly. Thank you. <laughs> so we do do patient satisfaction surveys. And um, we, we did add, before we started this program, we did add in some specific questions um, that were related to the work that was related to the work we were doing. And we did see an improvement in the treatment that people were feeling. Um, even though it's funny because sometimes we felt we weren't doing enough and that we didn't have enough momentum going in the program, we did actually see those, those changes happen. People were also curious about whether your scenarios are things that you've either published or available for sharing. I feel like there's a great need in our community to sort of see what this looks like and try to learn from it. 
so so we haven't published our our scenarios but we're we're always more than willing to share and we're more than willing to support anyone who's doing this and to collaborate with them as they move forward um, I think it's valuable work to be doing and and I think the more we work together the better uh, so please our, our contact information's there reach out and we can share what we're doing um, not all our some of our scenarios are very personal to certain areas so we talked a bit about when we first started out we engaged a lot with indigenous uh, population or other populations to build those scenarios and, and I know there was a question you asked earlier, Anne, about um, how did we create scenarios that, that didn't add to the racism? And what's interesting is a lot of our, our staff had, the scenario, had scenarios they really wanted us to try out and run with, or they would bring them into the conversation. So people were really, they wanted to talk about it, as Kendra said, they, you know, they knew there were some gaps, they knew there were some issues, and they really wanted to talk about it. I wonder if you could talk about um, just a snippet about whether the education was mandatory or whether people were able to opt into it. How did you get buy-in from, um, from your learners? So, our e-learning was mandatory our our shorter because we we knew it was something that everyone could do and everyone could have access to when kendra was talking about the tipping point and and the law of diffusion we we really recognized earlier that we wouldn't be able to hit everyone the size of our team um and even we didn't want to spend a lot of time working with areas that didn't want to go through the change and i know that sounds very abrupt in a way but it is a it was a lot of effort and it's we're putting a lot into it and we really wanted to start with those teams that wanted to work on this and wanted to see the change and so it was even one of those outcomes that we started to shift as we went along when we first started we said okay we're going to hit 60 percent of the teams within the organization but really early on we were having teams that wanted more and more and more and we thought if we want to go with that tipping point let's let's work with those teams let's bring them to the area they need to the momentum's there um and so that's that's where we went to so no our training was not mandatory as we went through thank you damien any questions that you would like to add i feel like we've covered most of the ones that have come in through the q a um, yeah, I think that uh, I agree. I've, I've been watching there and I, um, I don't have any of my own. Um, I think um, what I think I heard Kelly and Kendra is that um, the types of scenarios, the details of the case are kind of personal. Um, I was just wondering if you could, I think, help all of us by just describing the type of task. So for example, I heard about the late uh, chair of the meeting situation and the speaking up about comments. Um, for the other image that you showed with the patient standing there, what was the um, activity to be done and maybe a couple of other activities? 
Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Um, so the, the scenario with the patient interaction is actually um, a patient that shows up uh, with, an, with an isolation gown. She's got a McDonald's cup, you know, a kind of a, a frilly um, purse. She, she uh, is asking this random person that she's approached that uh, she needs help. She doesn't know where she's come from. She, you know, the nurses let her go for a smoke because she needed to go for a smoke, but uh, she's not really sure where she is because she, when she came in, she was out of it. Um, and um, and the, the, the clerk in this scenario is really kind of disgusted by her. She's hand sanitizing, saying, I see you're in an isolation gown. Are you even supposed to be out of your room? Um, she's, she's, then the patient goes on to ask about, um, you know, I, I think there's something wrong with my liver. Would you be able to look up my liver results for me? Um, and, and the clerk says, well, no, like I can't. Like if you need to go to the lab, like take the stairs down to the right and, and, and go that way. Meanwhile, she's got an IV pole. She can't take the stairs. Um, and then it goes on further that she asks her what her name is. She says it's uh, her last name Smith. Um, and so she just looks up Smith, sees the first Smith and, and uh, tells her that she's on a certain floor without even asking her what her first name is and just really is just really standoffish towards her. And so we really delve into, you know, what are the stories going on in your head about this patient? What are the stories going on in your head about this, this clerk? And, you know, if you were in this situation, would you intervene? What would you do? Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, People who, in either scenario, the speaking up piece, there were so many variables uh, that stopped people from speaking up. And a lot of them had to do with hierarchy. You know, I'm just a clerk, I'm here to take notes in this meeting. And so therefore it's not my role to say anything. Um, and other people said, like, I, I would just redirect that patient, take the patient uh, to that location on my own. Uh, but most people were not uh, comfortable with really approaching that person and just kind of saying like, hey, I think, um, I think that, you know, your approach with her was inappropriate or that kind of thing. Um, but yet people in leadership roles are really quick to say like, I would, I would talk to their manager and I would, I would, you know, talk to that person and get HR involved and that kind of thing. So it was really interesting, um, the, the dynamic, but, you know, a lot of people were, were easily sh would share the biases that they had about that patient. And, you know, we asked the question, like, do you think if that patient looked differently, would that clerk act differently? And so a lot of times, yes, they, people felt they would. Other times people said, well, no, maybe that clerk's just having a really bad day. Maybe she's not allowed to leave her space. Maybe this is the 15th time this person showed up. So lots of things we didn't know. And that was all about how we built those assumptions with and filling in blanks when people didn't have all the information. I was really impressed um, in your presentation today with your ability to talk about racism and your own uh, transformation and the things that you're learning about in a way that I thought was helpful. One of the questions in the chat is, were you ex addressing anti-Indigenous racism explicitly in the trainings and where you would have a similar kind of transparency and modeling? Um, and uh, also, um, did, I think the question is also, did you let people know in advance, this is why you're coming, we're coming to talk about racism and biases and how did you frame that? Um, so we didn't explicitly talk about anti-Indigenous racism uh, 
as, as, a, as an objective at this point. We really felt that this we needed to lay foundational work first that had to do with just being more self-aware. Um, and so um, our next steps will be that we're going to get more explicit in, in the next sets of simulations that we do. Of course, um, you know, COVID hit and kind of put a halt on a lot of things, but um, so that, that will, that's coming. Um, and what was the second part of your question, Damien? Sorry, I forget. Um, it was a discussed in the context of the debriefings. Once you've talked about biases, oh, right. um, we did tell you people. then come to say, well, like, I know I'm a little bit racist. It has to be because I grew up here and those things that I think are new for me and new for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. Um, people knew that, uh, and you know, we we started these scenarios with a bit of a an overview of why we were here, and so people knew that we were exploring biases, assumptions, um, and race. Um, again, they all had to do the e-learning courses before they came to this these presentations, so they had a bit of an understanding, a bit of a context of what was coming. Um, did they know fully? what to expect i don't think so just like we didn't know fully what to expect each time these rolled out and so you know they had some information and and depending on where the conversation was steered uh really kind of built you know, what was talked about and and when we talked about the, sorry when we talked about the the program overall we talked about racism all the time and so we did not we did not sneak it in in any way when we sent out communications, when we when we really talked to our senior leaders, talked to our leaders, talked to our frontline staff, anything that went out about it, we talked about racism and we talked that this is what we're doing, this is what the conversation's about. And when conversations came up in debriefing, we we went there. We We did not say, oh, we won't talk about this now. We, we created that environment where it became part of the what we were talking about and, and, and really, you know, oftentimes it came up. So um, we, we were not sneaky about it in any way, so. Um, so I think uh, perhaps by way of closing, you might address if there's anything you might do differently, if you did it again, or what are your next steps and, um, uh, have you have some final thoughts here before uh, wrapping up the session? Um, so I'll just share some final thoughts that, uh, you know, as I sit and, and we talk about this more that I reflect on and, and just knowing that um, this is really important work. And like Damien, you said at the beginning of this presentation today that, um, you know, now is a perfect time to really, to really dive into this and, and, what we're seeing in the world and what we're seeing in North America. Um, but just be realistic in your goals. This isn't a, a, a sprint. This is a marathon. Um, you know, trust the process. Be patient in what you're doing and know that you are making a difference, uh, even if it's small. Um, you know, things will build and snowball as it goes on. Um, so don't feel like you have to change the world in a day. So that's kind of my final thought. So, and, and just, yeah, Kendra, Kendra really wrapped that up nicely. It, it is such meaningful work and it was really, 
it was something that changed us as people and it changed us as instructors and it changed us as leaders and and we're glad we went down this path and and we're really excited to keep going and recognizing we have that next layer and and you know we talked earlier there's many teams that have re reached out to us so we started quite general with our approach now we're getting really custom and we're really working with specific areas like emergency department like operating uh, rooms or the uh, OR and so we're really starting to work with these different teams and and just to keep going and be flexible with how you do it and and have fun along with many of the emotionals there were some lots of laughs lots of learning lots of doing things differently so it was it was a great journey it is a great journey yeah i, I think that's really coming through for me is lay the foundation get started uh, i think yeah. you're inspiring me and a lot of us to be brave uh to do it to do it well to do it in good company and uh, and take some steps. Uh, I think that's uh, very helpful at a time when it can be easy to be paralyzed by uh, yeah. getting overwhelmed and not knowing what to do. Yeah. So I, I appreciate all this. And I really appreciate you taking the time, not just to do the work, but to share it with the global community live today and also record it. Um, thank you so much again. And uh, we do all look forward to seeing this uh, reported in print and in this format and your next steps. Uh, I know folks will be reaching out to you uh, to learn further from you. And um, thank you again. To thank all you so of much. you, um, I, I, I know we have contact information. If you don't mind putting up that slide so folks know reaching, I put it in the chat as well. But if you're watching the recording, I know that um, Kelly and Kendra are quite generous with their knowledge and, um, and would be willing to help and uh, us as well um, in preparation for uh, coming out to Thunder Bay. We had consulted with Erica Foldy and, and sent the team and really were lucky to be uh, an honor to have been asked to be a part of this. Uh, so mm -hmm. thank you very much. Um, please join us next week. Um, for a weekly webinar where we're going to have a new format. We're going to do an open forum with the faculty. It'll be Ask Anything. So uh, register and send us your questions in advance or just come along and uh, type in your questions. We'll have a, a subset of the CMS faculty uh, ready to talk with you about anything and everything simulation. And uh, also, if you'd like to get further along, a lot of the concepts that Kelly and Kendra uh, describe. We have a number of online programs that are available in this time of COVID, um, including uh, teaching online, a feedback course. Our flagship simulation program is now available online. Um, and, uh, and also, we're always happy to partner in a more tailored fashion like we did with the Thunder Bay group. So don't hesitate to reach out by any and all means uh, through our website. Uh, or by email. Thank you again for joining and we'll see you all next week.